sometimes you just need to touch grass, literally and figuratively. And we recommend you bring books. Tell the bibliologists at Tailored Book Recommendations about what you love and what you don't and what you want to read this summer on your outdoor adventures. You can get your recommendations via email or receive hardcovers in the mail. And TBR has plans for every budget. This summer, touch grass and bring books. You pack the bags, we pick the books. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 134, recording on July 22nd. I'm Sharif Williams here with Jen Northington, and today we are going to talk about our most anticipated reads for the rest of the year, really. Uh, so lots of really, really great books <laughs> coming out through December, and we're starting from July, so we're backtracking just a little bit, um, but I had a really hard just time deciding what yes. to choose for this one. There's a wealth of stuff out there. Yeah, this is a really bonkers good year for new books coming out. Like, I just was not prepared by how hard it was going to be to whittle down my list. Yeah, yeah, me neither. And we are actually going to break this out into um, series and sequels for another later episode, because also there were a lot of those out that are really good and worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. hold on for that. Um, <laughs> and uh, before we start talking about news, I'm going to share our first sponsor. Sometimes you just need to touch grass literally and figuratively. And we recommend you bring books. Tell the bibliologists at Tailored Book Recommendations about what you love and what you don't and what you want to read this summer on your outdoor adventures. You can get your recommendations via email or receive hardcovers in the mail. And TBR has plans for every budget. This summer, touch grass and bring books. You pack the bags, we pick the books. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. All right, we're back. And I think I'm going to kick us off. I feel like today I finally came away with two happy news yes, stories. I feel yes. like a lot of the news I've been sharing has been really sad. Um, but I'm going to kick us off with this story that makes me feel really good about where some of us are going in terms of humanity and thinking about inclusivity. And this is a story that comes from NPR, and it was originally uh, discussed on Morning Edition. It's reported by Wynne Davis. And it's about this athletic group that was previously known as a Quidditch team, and now they are rebranding as Quadball, specifically to distance itself from, you know, the author of Harry Potter uh, who we all know, and I think we have discussed at length the problematic mm. things Rowling has said, especially as they relate to the trans community, uh, anti-trans conversations that have really disappointed a lot of Harry Potter fans and have sort of sort of started the ball rolling on these groups that were affiliated and a lot of them were doing a lot of great work um, and really trying to create inclusive communities. And it sounds like this team, they are, they were previously known as the U.S. Quidditch and Major League Quidditch teams. And they recently announced, uh, I guess it was just this past Tuesday that they are having that rebranding. And it sounded from this article like a lot of people that are involved in this sport agreed that this was the right move. The people who originally created it agreed that this was the right move. They called it a bold move, whatever that means. Uh, but I also just think that the messaging around why they're rebranding about how a lot of the queer community, a lot of LGBTQIA plus people 
were participating in this sport. And, you know, it sounds like one of those sports a lot of people come to for that sense of community and to meet people who have the same interests and passions as they do. And um, so they were talking about how they were specifically making this change because they wanted to retain that community feeling and make it feel like a welcoming space for all types of people. So I just thought that this was really lovely and to hear about everybody who participated and participates in this uh, sport, like just coming together and making it a safe space for everybody made my heart warm. <laughs> yeah. And I want to share it. Yeah. And this is, yeah, this is a big deal too, because, you know, these organizations are kind of huge. Mm -hmm. Like there's, you know, international organizations that are also going to be following this lead, it sounds like, but like there's, it's big, you know, it's not small. Yeah. Um, these aren't like tiny local people. Like this is a whole big national organization. And I think it's really interesting, you know, how they said that obviously this is in support of the LGBTQ folks in their community. It also gives them opportunities to, you know, find their own way forward as a sport mm -hmm. without being stuck in this box that is created by the books and being associated with the books. So I think this is just a lovely move and also a really smart one. It, it does a bunch of things at the same yeah. time. And I love to see it. I love to see it. Can't wait. I, one day I'll be able to actually, I have seen one live quad ball match at uh, GeekyCon oh, cool. many years ago, which was so much <laughs> fun. And then um, I meant to go one year when I was living in New York, like the big game of the year was in New oh. York, but like I couldn't get off work to go and I was really crushed about it um but one day I'm gonna go see like a full-on live quad ball game and it's gonna be that awesome. sounds like so much fun I honestly did not know it was as huge as it was until I read yeah. this but I know I had heard about it before so maybe I'll have to put this on my my list as well yes to do. <laughs> It's a good time. It's a good time. And it's really, uh, it is extremely athletic, y'all. It is not easy. Like, it is, it's, 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 it, there's a lot of contact oh and a lot of running, is what I will say. Yeah. It's, it's, I will intense. not be participating. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I very briefly toyed with the idea of joining a team, and then I was like, no, I'm not prepared. That's <laughs> All right. Well, I also have some good news. It's been it's been a week. Yeah. And so I think we're excited to just talk about some nice things. Uh, so my nice thing is that let's go with this one. The Wheel of Time show has been renewed for a third season and the second season is not out yet. You are not confused if you are surprised <laughs> about that. Um, this is reported on tour.com by Molly Templeton. And you can see they apparently it's called like a sizzle reel oh, i don't okay. know They're, they released like a behind the scenes teaser um showing some of the filming of the next season and this came out of um a panel at sdcc yes sdcc so they uh yeah, they, they're doing three seasons minimum, which is great because, you know, there's like 14 <laughs> books in this series. There's a lot of ground to cover. And I, while I did have quibbles and frustrations with season one, I did also very much enjoy it. Um, I think the showrunners are trying to be inclusive and smart mm. about it, and they are not doing a perfect job, but you can see the efforts that are going into it. And I hope they will continue to listen to the feedback and improve. And the acting and the costuming alone is just stunning, I will say. Like, that's it's, it's pretty impressive. So I'm excited personally. And there's also this thing that they're doing where they they have like a cartoon, which I somehow was not aware of, despite having like a literal podcast all about them all the time. Um, they did this cartoon, I guess they came out as extras for the show called Wheel of Time Origins, and they're like making even more of them now. Oh. So there's a bunch of Wheel of Time stuff out there, basically, is what I'm saying. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's nice news for those of us who are enjoying the show. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, because I hadn't heard, I feel like I've been in 
inundated with news of adaptations and, you know, the Game of Thrones spinoff coming up and Lord of the Rings and Mm. stuff. And I realized when you linked this story that I hadn't heard much about the Wheel of Time since it originally came out. So I was wondering if it's been uh, actually good. I have not caught up on anything. I feel so out of the loop. but. I do think it's good, and I think that they've made interesting choices to try to update some of the worst parts ah. of the book. Again, it's not perfect, not perfect, but uh, they are, they are, I, you can see them trying. You can see the, the effort that they're, that they're making, and again, I hope they continue to take the feedback that they're getting and, and grow, but, um, I, you know, the acting is so good for the most part, and the costume design, I love listen, the co- I know you do. <laughs> I have to tell you, the amount of thought that went into the costume design is unbelievable. It is so detailed mm. and so rich and so correct for the types of like societies and power dynamics, et cetera, et cetera. Like they put so much thought into what every piece of clothing on screen was going to mean. And I like want to own some of these clothes <laughs> like they're so some of them are so beautiful and I just I really they, I will say they got um like everybody they got impacted by COVID and I think their budget must have gotten cut because the CGI sort of later in the season was a little wibbly but like the real world effects are stunning and they clearly put so much time and effort into this I will say that I mean, I said this on we did an adaptation nation about this when it first came out. Jeff and yeah. I did, and I said, you know, Will of Time is not Game of Thrones. Like Game of Thrones, uh, as an atmosphere and a story, is grimdark. No one is a hero. Everyone is out for themselves, and that's the message of mm-hmm. those books, right? And that is not what's happening in the Wheel of Time. It's a little bit closer to, I mean, it doesn't go all the way Lord of the Rings where like there's good and there's evil and that's it. Like there's nothing in between. It doesn't go that far, but it is closer and it's sort of in between the the extremes of Lord of the Rings and, and Game of Thrones. So like if the intense like darkness... <laughs> of Game of Thrones is what you're looking for. Like you're not, it's not, there's not on screen sex in the same way. There's not as much, I mean, there is violence, but there's not nearly as much on screen violence in Wheel of Time, which I think for some readers is a bonus. Yeah. Uh, but so there's that. But, you know, and I do think the show does a great job of like, you don't have to have read the books. It's fine. Just like, just if you're prepared to like, here's a new fantasy world and I'm going to learn about it. Like you can dive in. It's fine. Okay. That sounds amazing. We just set up our indoor project. So I might have to start watching Ooh. it on that. It's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> Do recommend. Do awesome. recommend. Well, that was a wonderful, that was a wonderful catch up on Wheel of Time. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, I'm going to roll in with some more good uh, news. And this is just a really great interview coming from them reported on by Ren Sanders. And it's all about Actor Terry, who, who being the first non-binary Disney character. Uh, and I know that there's been a lot of bad news about Disney. Um, and mm-hmm. there has been some backtracking specifically about uh, LGBTQIA plus rights and what's going on in Florida. And so it was nice to see Terry, who being highlighted here. And to hear about, I don't know Zombies Three personally. I guess it's a no. <laughs> it's a Disney musical, and it sounds like it's really successful. They have dolls, so that tells me in some way that it's mm-hmm. successful. Uh, but this whole thing is a highlight of Terry Who, and it talks about how you know they are approaching this role and how they feel about being in the spotlight in this way. And it's just a really heartwarming interview about how who didn't feel like they could be part of the acting world and be on screen and give people the emotions and the gift that they felt from cinema. And so this is kind of, a peak moment in in their career and so we get to hear from who about their experience 
coming up and going to acting school with their brothers and about how much this means to them and about this doll, as mentioned. And yes. it's a, a doll that is based on this character who plays Aspen. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's A-Spen. So it seems like it's Aspen. But it's a... It the character is a non-binary alien with blue hair, and I assume they sing since this is a musical. And it is about um, I don't actually know what the Zombies Three thing is about. I'm assuming there are zombies in it, but this <laughs> character sounds amazing. And who is a, a Jersey-born actor and. They had a long journey toward this moment, and I'm just so excited for them and everything in their future, and I can't wait to see what else they create as an actor. So I just encourage everybody to read this interview. It's uh, You can tell that there's a great rapport happening before between the interviewer and the interviewee, and I just loved everything about it. Yeah, it's incredibly charming. I have not been following the live action musicals very yeah. much. So like I've never seen High School Musical or any of the following ones. I did not even know zombies existed. But <laughs> this interview is so charming that I'm like, well, maybe I should watch it. I know. Do <laughs> so... we have to watch Zombies 1 and 2 if those exist? Yeah, right. <laughs> catch up? I'm going to assume the answer is no, but <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Somebody can tell us maybe. It's awesome. Well, lots of congrats to Terry Who, and again, I hope we get more SFF screen time from them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love that they get their own doll. Like, that's what a what cool, a moment in yeah. life to like. Oh, I'm gonna get a doll of myself. Like, that's and amazing for, for non-binary kids out there. Like, can yes. you imagine? That's I can't. Ugh. I can't imagine. It's it's too much. It's too good. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. It's a nice moment. All right. Well, I'm going to finish up on another nice note. It's all nice today. We need some niceness. The 2022 World Fantasy Award nominees have been announced, which is always, I love when we go into award season. Yes. Uh, the I'm linking you to the actual uh, World Fantasy Award website. The winners are going to be announced in November at a big banquet. Always exciting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I saw a bunch of authors on this list who I was like, yep, yep, mm -hmm. yep. Like, that all scans. Like we've got in the novel category category we've got Zen Cho, P. Jelly Clark, Tasha Suri, like yes, yes, yes. I actually don't know about The City Beautiful by Aiden Polidoros. So that's one I'm gonna have to look up. That one was new to me. And there's, you know, great authors in all of these categories. I recognize names in novella and short fiction. You know, there's some awesome looking anthologies. Uh, so a lot of lot of great, exciting yeah, names here. Yeah, and it's cool to see Samuel R. Delaney on the Lifetime Achievement Award category yes. uh, with some classic SFF. Um, and yeah, I'm really, I, I felt like when I came to this list, I was wondering how much of it would be unrecognizable to me because it's taken me a lot to yes. sort of catch up with all of the books coming out. Uh because of my energy level and everything, but seeing all of these great authors who I know and whose work I love was a wonderful thing. And I feel like there are a lot of familiar people, a lot of people who show up on a lot of these awards lists and just, for instance, like in short fiction, I feel like there are so mm -hmm. many people who it occurred to me like really are prolific short fiction writers and they yes. like Sarah Pinsker I feel like I see on every mm -hmm. single short fiction list all yes. every year yeah. it's so interesting and P. Jelly Clark is out here also doing short fiction with all of the mm -hmm. other stuff so I I'm just really gladdened by everything here um and also excited to dive into some of the works and authors I'm less familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a bunch here that I have not read Yeah. Yet. I mean, most of them. I haven't read most of them, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> so, 
I it's always nice to have exciting uh, catching up to Yeah, you. I totally agree. And it might take our lifetime, but that's okay. We that's just right. keep reading. I really I like I'm shocked by myself that I still haven't read Blackwater Sister, honestly, by Zencho. Like I, I love Zencho's books. How have I not read that one yet? Like what has happened to me? But this year is just wacky. <laughs> I haven't it's just either. really strange. You are not alone. Yeah. I, and I don't know I have no, no. explanation either, but one day we'll come out of the the mists, I suppose. Oh man. What a <laughs> great day crossed. that will be. I look forward to that day. <laughs> well, I'm also looking forward to hearing who the winners will be. I guess it's going to be announced November 6th. Uh I think you already mentioned yes. that, but So, we'll see what happens there, but love this list. Thank you for sharing that. Mhm. And that brings us to the end of our news. And before we talk about our most anticipated, I'm going to share our next sponsor. And we're back. Jen, do you want to kick us off? I do. I do. I, As we established, you and I established, mm-hmm. we were allowed to pick from July 1 because that's technically, you know, the halfway point through the year. So even though this is coming out after these books have been out, I am still anticipating them because I have yep. not read them yet. <laughs> so that's fine. It's fine. Uh, my first pick is a science fiction pick called... August Kitko and the Mechas from Space. Awesome. This is by Alex White. Yes, it's an amazing title. Y'all have to look up the cover. It is hot pink with like neon yellow and blue writing. It's fantastic. And Alex White is the writer of A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe, which is the first book in a series that I have not finished, but I really loved Big Ship. And so I was super excited to see that White has new workout. They are just so good at that like madcap fun but still like feels substantive science fiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a new space opera is exactly what I want from Alex White. And it's funny. I'm my my current bedtime book is the complete Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So when I was, but yes, it's a good, it's a really good bedtime read. I'm not going to lie. So when I saw the plot of this, I was like, oh, I'm getting big, like Douglas Adams vibes. So the plot follows uh, a Our main character is Gus Kitko, who is a jazz pianist, and apparently humanity knows that they're about to be wiped out forever by these, like, ultra-powerful robots from the depths of space, and they're determined to destroy humanity, and uh, so August is like, okay, well, I'm gonna play music at this like giant goodbye party because of course humanity is like the world's ending let's throw a party and (laughs) and that's not what happens they go to the party they play the party but a mecca that is supposed to kill Gus saves him instead and then he ends up joining a small group of you know traitorous vanguards who are these alien robots and their pilots who are going to try to save humanity. And I like I said, I'm getting big like, you know, the the death robots from Cricket um, in Hitchhikers, if that's a reference that y'all know, mm-hmm. uh, vibes from this. And I'm very like, I'm just so ready for this. I'm so ready for like really fun, enjoyable, smart, inclusive science fiction, which is exactly what White does. So I am here for all of this. I'm here for all of it. (laughs) Uh, So again, that's August Kitko and the Mechas from Space by Alex White. And it came out on July 12th, so you can have it now. That sounds amazing. I actually have that book in my uh, Libro library. (laughs) Nice. And I was immediately captured by that hot pink cover, as you might imagine. (laughs) So it's good to hear that it is also like a sound, a a book that sounds exactly in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, my first pick is from a familiar name, Neon Yang, and it's the Genesis of Misery. And I was so happy because I didn't really expect this book. I hadn't heard about it. And then I got it in the mail and I was like, what? Neon Yang is is has like a new novel that's out. And it is another, we've got another space opera here. And this one, interestingly, is a twist on the Joan of Arc story, 
Very unexpected, but it sounds like one of those really rollicking rides. There are lots of space battles. There are political machinations. And it also has, it includes a queer and diverse array of pilots, princesses, and prophetic heirs. It's a lot of peas. It sounds... <laughs> Absolutely incredible. And the main character sounds like somebody who I want to follow through space and time. Uh, Misery Nomaki, whose pronouns are she, they. And Misery, first of all, is an amazing name and mm -hmm. very fitting for a Joan of Arc inspired <laughs> story, unfortunately. Um, and it's funny because I know, like, you know, we all get taught uh, the Joan of Arc story in, at various levels of school, but it was very much something that, at least in my experience, you know, you get a little bit of a blip of history. You learn, you know, she's like the epitome, the icon of martyrdom. Like, that's how I, I kind of learned what the word martyr was mm. and one of the things that i did not learn until much later in life was that when she was put on trial for heresy the fact that she wore men's clothes was used against her at trial so i thought i was like i, I wonder what parts of the joan of arc story are going to be used in the genesis of misery to kind of keep the story moving forward. But in the story, Misery uh, has these abilities that they shouldn't. And the abilities include being able to bend the will of stone. And it's this, this magic that they are not supposed to have. Only the saints are supposed to have this ability. And so because of Misery's ability, they end up at the center of the empire where there are these rumors that Misery is the next messiah and the people in power are using Misery to win this really terrible war that's happening. So... Misery ends up getting close to a rebellious royal whose name is also amazing, Lady Elodia Lightning. Mm. Fantastic. That is a perfect space opera name. I love it. And so the character is moving toward embracing this legacy, this Messiah legacy. So it sounds amazing. I know all the Tensort series fans out there are excited to have uh, Neon Yang work. And this is, again, a novel. Um, so you get a whole big book from Yang, who is a mastermind of, of these stories. And I cannot wait. This is another one that has an amazing cover as well. I will not lie. I... Uh, was 100% drawn by this cover as well as just seeing Neon Yang's name on the book. And I can't wait to get started on it. It's by my bedside. I have not started it yet because I am in the middle of two books I'm slowly crawling through. <laughs> but again, that was The Genesis of Misery by Neon Yang. Yeah, I somehow missed knowing about that too. I when yeah. I was, you know, doing my my scroll through what was coming out, I was like, "Wait, how did I not know that it's just like a couple months away?" Like, that's yeah. amazing. So, the other one that I was surprised by that I'll just do a quick shout out to now is RF Quang also has a new book coming out. It's called Babel. It's a fantasy about translation. It looks amazing. Huh. It's coming in August and I was like, "Wait, why didn't I know about that?" Like, why Me don't neither. I know? Why don't I know about everything so you know it just goes to show <laughs> that even if it's your job to know things sometimes you don't know things it's that's just true yes um, yeah that's why we're doing the show too that's right that's helpful. right that's helpful uh so okay so my next full pick is a is an anthology y'all know i love an anthology mm -hmm. it is called africa risen and this looks amazing. The subtitle is A New Era of Speculative Fiction. The co-editors are the, like, renowned at this point, Cherie Renee Thomas, uh, mm -hmm. Ogena Chovoy Donald Ekpeki, and Zelda Knight. 
And I, when I tell you that this anthology includes 32 stories. Oh, wow. Like oh. 32. Sharif and I are working on an anthology right now. And like, <laughs> let me tell you, 32 is an insane amount of work. That is so much work. I'm sweating just thinking about I it. I it's can't. incredible. It's incredible. And this author list, I mean, there's a there actually are more names that I don't know than that I do, which is super exciting to me as somebody yeah. who, you know, tries to stay on top of I love to find new authors, but you know, our favorites Tanana Reeve Du is in here, Tobias Buckle, Maurice Brodus, Alex Jennings. Like, you'll see names that you know, and then lots of names that I think will be new to a lot of folks. And I am so excited for this collection. I love that it's specifically, like, you know, African and African diaspora and speculative fiction. Um, I, I am cheating a little bit because apparently there is some fantasy in here as well as science fiction, but... <laughs> Whatever, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we've got stories about supercomputers and robots and, you know, rain goddesses and the whole shebang. I mean, 32 stories. That's so many stories, y'all. That is the most yeah. stories. So this is going to be amazing. And the cover is stunning. I mean, there are a lot of good covers also this year. There's a lot of there really are. beautiful covers out there. Um, and I just I can't wait to read it. It's coming out in November. So we have a little while to wait, November 15th. But, you know, put it on your list. It's going to be, I have no doubt that it's going to be fantastic. It sounds amazing. Yeah. And I forgot to mention that the Genesis of Misery is out uh, September 27th, uh, for those of you who are waiting for it. Okay. Well, my next pick is The Daughter of Dr. Moreau. And this is by my fave, our fave, <laughs> everybody's fave, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Always coming in with a new book every five mm -hmm. seconds, which is mm -hmm. astonishing. <laughs> yes. And this one, as you might have guessed, is inspired by The Island of Dr. Moreau, that old-time classic story by H.G. Wells, which was published way back at the end of the 19th century. And in this story, we have the central figure of Carlotta Moreau, who is this young woman. She's growing up on this luxurious estate. Uh, there is some struggle and strife happening in the periphery, but because she's living in this bubble, like she does not, it is not impacting her life in any way so far. So uh, Carlotta is the only daughter of this researcher who is this Dr. Moreau character. And then we have a an overseer with a tragic past who is assisting Dr. Moreau with these exper experiments. And then there are the hybrids themselves who have to obey their creator and are always in the shadows. Um, and in the original story of the island of Dr. Moreau, we have this shipwrecked um, protagonist who ends up on this island and meeting Dr. Moreau and coming to understand the strange things that are happening on this island and the danger that's posed to the character and in this story i i actually don't know i have a shamefully lacking knowledge of the history of the yucatan peninsula but because there was this mention of the struggles and strife that are happening here and because i know sylvia moreno garcia is an author who is really good at Flipping stories and genres and tropes so that mm. they examine, you know, exploitation and marginalization and and other really critical issues. I just wanted to know what that reference was. And I think, I'm not 100% certain, but I think that the struggles that are mentioned as part of this story are referring to this uh, cast um, what was it called? It was the a cast battle that was happening on the Yucatan Peninsula in this time, like around the time 
H.G. Wells wrote this original story. It's the Cast War of the Yucatan. That's what it's called. Mm. And in the Cast War, uh, the Maya people were rebelling against the Yucatecos of European descent. And the part of the rebellion was around this expropriation of land for haciendas. And that sounds exactly in line with what mm. this story is. Uh, it impacted the Maya people's ability to practice subsistence farming. So I'm really curious about not only how the original text from H.G. Wells, which I have never read. I watched one of the adaptations. Oh, I think gosh. it was like the 90s adaptation. <laughs> and I know I like sort of half watched it. Um, but I'm I'm curious about how... Garcia is going to take this original story and then also incorporate the history of the Yucatan Peninsula because I know she's going to do it in a really amazing way. I also know that there is 100% going to be some really gruesome moments yeah. in this book considering the topic, the experiments of Dr. Moreau are kind of infamous in literary fictional history. So... I just want more of Silvia Moreno-Garcia, and this sounds like a really interesting story that incorporates a lot of stuff I don't know a lot about. So again, that's The Daughter of Dr. Moreau by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And that one's out now. Yeah, that one's out now. Thank you for reminding me to actually say the date. It's, <laughs> it was published July 19th, so you can read it right away. It's on my stack. We'll see if I can handle the level of body horror. Well, you never know. It's yeah. It's kind of mess for me. Said, I'm going to try. <laughs> it's on my stack. It's on my stack. <sighs> All right. My first fantasy pick is, I'm, a, I'm very excited about this one. It's The Monsters We Defy by Leslie Penelope, who wrote a paranormal romance series that I have read start to finish the whole thing. I've read the whole thing. Oh, wow. Uh, it starts with Song of Blood and Stone. Yes. I got to actually got to moderate a panel that included Penelope uh, oh. last year, two years. I have no idea what year it is. It was, it was somewhat recently. And um just a delight to talk to her. And I'm in this this book sounds, I mean, in my wheelhouse regardless. So this is a historical fantasy about a woman who lives. Did I say the title? It's the monsters we defy. I can't remember what <laughs> yeah, I said. I think you did. Okay, well I said it again. So this is set <laughs> in in Washington D.C. in 1925. The main character Clara can talk to spirits, which is both a gift and a curse. And the spirit world is you know not easy to navigate. Um, and she has been left indebted to the spirit world because of a misstep. So a powerful spirit offers her an opportunity to gain her freedom. She has to steal a magical ring from the wealthiest woman in Washington, D.C., like NBD. And so Clara has to put together a heist team. I love a heist team, right? Like who doesn't yes. love a magical heist team? So I'm super excited about this. The The crew involves another jazz musician. It's like jazz musician day, apparently. Um, there's a jazz musician who can hypnotize people with melodies. There's an actor who can change his face. Um, and it also uh, explores DC's legendary Black Broadway, which speaking of historical things that I don't know much about, I don't know anything about that. So mm. I am really excited to get to exist in this alternate, you know, 20s magical heist DC situation. Like, I'm just I'm all about it. It sounds like it's going to be so much fun. And I know from Leslie Penelope's other books that she's really great at writing relationships. She's really great at writing characters that you want to root for and get to know better. And that she's very willing to tackle complicated systemic issues like racism in her work so I just am super jazzed about jazz <laughs> Un unintended pun unintended <laughs> I'm very excited about this one uh, so again that's the monsters we defy by Leslie Penelope and that comes out in August August 9th that is so funny one of the books I am currently reading is also about jazz, and it's a SFF book. It's The Ballad of Perilous Graves by Alex Jennings. I'll ah. put that also as a shout out. <laughs> uh, but it didn't, it was a June release, so I did, I would have included it. Mm. Books, but I think that's so funny. 
Um, I don't know what it is about jazz. I wish my next pick was a jazz pick, but <laughs> it is a book about books, so that's pretty cool. Uh, this is The Book Eaters by Sun Yi Dean. And of course, I had to, like, I have absolutely no self-control when it comes to books about books. So I had to <laughs> add this to my most anticipated. Um, I can't help myself and that's okay. And also it has like a lot of the elements. I think I've been talking about how I've been really into sort of gothic horror stories recently. And it has that sort of feel it's set on the Yorkshire Moors first of all like so you have this sort of gloomy setting and then it involves this secret line of people and these people eat books like they literally it's the book eaters is literally what it is it's about people who eat books and so as part of their you know nutritional habits I guess they actually retain all of the book's content after eating it. So that's what happens when they eat mm. books. And so all sorts of different types of novels have different flavors and that sort of thing. They can remember destinations if they eat a map. And then kids are have to eat dry, musty pages is the description from dictionaries <laughs> when they misbehave. So I thought that was funny. But the rest of it does not sound like super humorous. It sounds more dark and... Uh, a little bit creepy. So the character that we're following is Devin, who's part of the family, capital T, capital F. And they are one of the older clans of book eaters. They're very reclusive. And it sounds like they have um, very specific ways of assigning books to be eaten so Devin's brothers grow up eating stories about valor and adventure and then the other book eater women are raised on a diet of fairy tales and cautionary stories which was like mm. of course my hackles were all right like what <laughs> can't tell me what to eat or read <laughs> but so Devin is raised as part of this family this reclusive clan and then the story progresses and Devin um, gives birth to a son and there's something unsettling about Devin's child. So instead of having a hunger for books, Devin's son is born with a hunger for human minds. So very creepy. Uh, <laughs> I know that <laughs> this is uh, going to be a... A uh, very uh, great fall read. It's actually, before I forget, it's actually um, going to be out August 2nd. So I don't know. You can also get your chills in the summertime. I love that as well. But I just thought that the whole concept was fascinating. Like I, I tend to come across a lot of book, books about books that are more on the cozy side of things mm. or, you know, just like really heartwarming stories because they are usually about book lovers. And this takes it to a whole new space that I am personally delighted by. I love deliciously dreadful stories. And um, I think that I, I really love that we're following a story who's a parent dealing with some really horrifying things. Like I don't often get to read about that um and it also made me think of you know is this a story about like uh a literal sociopathic child mm, and what mm. kinds of like that horrifying challenge like I don't know I don't know what to expect but I'm ready to be uh creeped out and scared and <laughs> a little bit uh put into that gloomy vibe so if that's also your thing, you should check out The Book Eaters by Sun Yi Jean coming out really soon now. Yeah, we have a bunch of August stuff. August is a good month mm -hmm. this year. It's not that there aren't things coming out later. It's just it was hard not to 
be attracted to the shiny of August. So. It's because August is my birthday month, so I'm oh, getting the gift of great books. That's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. There we go. Now we've explained it. All right. Yeah. So my my last book is also an August publication. It comes out late August, August 30th. And it is The Spear Cuts Through Water by Simon Jimenez. And I... This is so interesting to me. So I'm obsessed with Jimenez's uh, The Vanished Birds. I know I talked mm-hmm. about it on maybe a backlist episode. It's a really original, fascinating space story. So when I saw Jimenez's name, I assumed that it was sci-fi again. It's not. It's epic fantasy, which like, what? wow, love it when an author switches genres. Love it. So The Spear Cuts Through Water is giving me strong, like, uh, 100,000 Kingdoms by N.K. Jemisin mm. vibes. Um, they're also comparing it to The Priory of the Orange Tree, which I know a lot of people read and loved. Uh, it is about a world in which this country is ruled by this, like, very long-running dynasty called the Moon Throne. And the royal family are terrible. Surprise! They're terrible. (laughs) No one one is surprised. And part of the reason that they have been able to rule for so long is because they have a god locked inside of the palace that they are stealing, like, powers from. They're inheriting powers from. And this is about how the god is broken out of captivity by a guard and an outcast, and she flees with them on a five-day pilgrimage. So that it says the fact that they put that in the blurb makes me think that this is like a five-day span of a book, which I love a book that only inhabits a certain amount of time, like a very short time frame. So I'm hoping that that's true. I mean, I won't care if it's not, but that's like exciting <laughs> to me if it's true. Um, and so, yeah, they go on this pilgrimage and they're trying to find free Freedom and a way to end the rule of this horrible dynasty. And, you know, uh, one many of the things I loved about the vanished birds uh, seem like they could show up here. You know, Jimenez is really good at giving you these complicated, nuanced characters in very difficult situations. And sometimes they're making choices that you're like not super on board with, but you can understand, you know, how they got there. Um, You want them to, you know, to get through it. And uh, these playing with all of these, you know, world building techniques and taking things that are very known, like, for example, faster than light travel is part of the vanished birds. But what Jimenez does with it is something I've never seen anybody do before. So I'm really excited to see him playing around in epic fantasy because I love epic fantasy and I want as much as I can get of new people coming to it with their own ideas and their own sensibilities and their own backgrounds and like, you know, making it their own. So Really, really curious to see what this ends up reading like. I'm very excited about it. Again, that's The Spear Cuts Through Water by Simon Jimenez. Sounds wonderful. Yeah. Uh, And my next pick is also an August release, August 23rd. Uh, This is my last one. And I saved the one that was so, so deep in my wheelhouse (laughs) for last. It's called... The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches, and this is by Sangu Mandana. And this is definitely, reading the description, I think that this is a book where the next time I'm on any sort of vacation where I'm kind of just chilling out and relaxing, I will 100% bring this book with me because it sounds like the perfect book for that sort of like, I just want to chill out, feel good, and read something that maintains that mood. Mm. So yeah, so the story follows Mika Moon, excellent witchy name, (laughs) and Mika is one of very few witches in Britain. She also has to, like, she doesn't get to have that sort of community of witches or anything like that. Uh, So she has to hide her magic and stay away from other witches because apparently 
if their powers mingle, they might draw unwanted attention to themselves. So Mika sounds like a very lonely person. I feel for her. So she's an orphan who lost her parents at a young age. She was raised, raised by strangers. And so she's really used to being solitary. She is a solitary witch. Um, but, you know, one thing that solitary people can turn to for connection these days is the online world. So Mika creates this online account and she doesn't think anybody's going to notice it or her or whatever. So in these videos she posts, she's pretending to be a witch. And I just find this hilarious because <laughs> I can imagine just being online and coming across an account like this and being like, oh yeah, there's another sort of witchy online person like social media influencer right. type you know uh and of course like when would you think that this person is an actual witch but uh in mika's case somebody does take notice of her and her account and so she gets this message and uh, somebody asks her to travel to this remote, mysterious place called Nowhere House. And I love a house with a name. You know it's going to be a house that it's a, that is like a mm. character all its own. Uh, so she goes to Nowhere House, and her job there is to teach three young witches how to control their magic. So... She she knows that this is maybe not advisable because she is supposed to be staying away from witches in general. But, you know, she's got nothing to lose. She goes to this place and she gets entangled in the lives and the secrets of the people who live in this house. So there are her three charges. And then there's an absent archaeologist. There's a retired actor. And there are these two caretakers. And then... There's a handsome librarian, a handsome prickly librarian <laughs> is the description, Jamie. And, of course, you know, he is also very protective of the kids. And he's feeling like Mika's maybe a threat. He doesn't know who she is. She's a stranger. But there's also something appealing about Mika. So... I could tell there's going to be some romance, a little bit of a kindling of attraction, and I just love where this book is set, how it's being set up, and I cannot wait to read about this witchy, sort of solitary, awkward-sounding <laughs> witch. So, again, that was... The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana. I'm so excited about that one, too. I can't wait to read it. I'm, like, a big fan of Mandana's, so this is very in my wheelhouse as well. Ah, awesome. I can't, I can't wait for it either. I kind of want to force myself to take a vacation <laughs> just so I can read it. But that is it. Those are our most anticipated books, and I hope that you get to catch up on some of the upcoming reads. I know there are a lot. We are all overwhelmed, but at least there are fantastic books for us to look forward to. Uh, SFF Yeah is, as always, sound edited by Caitlin Bray. Many thanks to her for making us sound great each and every episode. For more recommendations, you can check out bookriot.com, and you can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. You can, of course, email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Send us your ideas, your pet pics, anything within reason. And <laughs> shout, <if> out, <laughs> shout out oh, yeah, to Dusty. Ahead. Thank you for the feedback recently. Oh, awesome. Thank you, Dusty. And then you can also, if you have a moment, review us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. It really helps people find us. And you can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? Someday I'll be back on social media. You can find me very <laughs> sporadically at Twitter and Tumblr, uh, Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And you can find me on Instagram at S-Z-I-N-O-Williams, that's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B, Williams. And we'll talk to you later. Bye.